This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Evolution Medical Care. Evolution Medical Care is a proud provider of traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, electroacupuncture, laser acupuncture, cupping therapy, and remedial massage. Want to get on top of your health? They listen. At Evolution Medical Care, they'll diagnose the areas that they can help with, and they'll provide you with a practical solution. Whether it be improving your fertility, reducing back pain, promoting positive mental states, or just trying to stay on top of general good health, Evolution Medical Care is the place for you. We are also brought to you by T8 Run. T8 Running Gear designed by runners for runners. T8 Run Sherpa shorts carry all your running essentials in your waist belt. These can hold up to one kilo or two liters with minimal bounce. Ultralight, super cool, chafe free. Their commandos are 100% chafe free. They are running underwear made from premium Italian fabrics. T8 Run is offering Hong Kong $50 off all orders using a special code that I'll leave in the details of this episode of the podcast. Substituting normality. Today I have with me, man, I'm very, very excited. Time Magazine named him one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. Men's Fitness hailed him as one of the fittest men on the planet. Stan Lee from Marvel crowned him as a real-life superhero. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He once ran 350 continuous miles, foregoing 80 hours of sleep. And the list could really go on. Guys, welcome Dean Carnazes. How are you going? <laughs> I don't feel worthy of that introduction, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. How's everything going over in America right now? Everything that's going on. Uh, it's a little crazy. You know, I'm in uh, I'm in San Francisco, so uh, just right across the Pacific from you. And uh, it's uh, it's craziness. It's, you know, we're in full lockdown. We've been in lockdown now for uh, about five weeks. And uh, thankfully, I can still get out where I live. I can still get out and run. Yeah. But that's about the only thing that's keeping me sane. So you guys, are you're still allowed out on the trails and stuff like that? Allowed to go and get groceries and all the standard stuff? Yeah, it's but it's getting a little it's getting a little severe. Like they are actually stopping people and um, seeing if you're not allowed to drive more than five miles away to access a trailhead. <laughs> wow! So like if you pull up at a trailhead to go, uh, you know, go for a run, they they literally say, uh, "Let me see your your license and where you live," because they want they don't want people moving around too much. Yeah, of course that that's what's going on here. They're handing out um fines and stuff like that. And I think it's a thousand dollars if you leave you where you live, leave your area. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I, you know, if, for you and me, uh, this whole thing of uh, isolation is is kind of uh, it's new territory because, um, you know, last time we 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 met, we were in the you know in, in Queensland uh, for uh, for a big race, yeah. and I just I can't see that races are going to come back online anytime. So it's pretty much solo running for a while. That's it. Uh, Ultra Trail 100 got pushed back to October, but I still have my doubts whether that's um that's going to be on or not yet. The world is a different place. I mean, it's <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what you know when when events start coming back online. How you know if there are different protocols and things. I mean, you know, you show up at an aid station on an ultra and you're just stuffing you know food in your mouth. 
uh, you know, people are handing you stuff and you're not even really paying attention, but I, I think that might change, at least for a while. Yeah, 100%. So just a little bit of background. Me and, me and Dean actually met when we were, um, when he was came around to, he came over to Australia at the end of last year and you went and did the uh, Black All 100 and we met when you came up, uh, you're touring with North Face and we met at uh, Blue Mounds Running Co up here at the shop. Um, tell us about your experience at uh, Black All because uh, from what we spoke about, it wasn't really pleasant one, was it? Oh, mate. It was beautiful. Are you kidding? <laughs> it was glorious. Every step of it. I was, uh, you know, I was in a, in a very bad place. I, you know, I'd gotten really sick actually traveling uh, yeah. from overseas. So I'd been on the road for, you know, about four weeks, well, five weeks prior to uh, ending up on the shores of Australia. And I, on the flight over from, uh, actually I came from Greece, I picked up a bug or something. So I had a really bad, you know, stomach blue kind of thing but uh, there was no way I was you know what do you do you fly all the way you fly halfway around the world for a race uh, and you're not feeling well you still got to do it right yeah 100% <laughs> I know a lot of people are saying yeah I don't know if I'd attempt running 100k when you know you're you basically got it coming out both ends but um, I launched into it and it was it was tremendous I mean I um, you know I suffered through it and met a lot of great people and uh you know, relived some of my, uh, my past when I used to live in Australia, you know, on the Sunshine Coast. And it was, it was, the whole thing was great. And then going back to the Blue Mountains, getting to meet you. Um, you know, I've been to the Blueies a few times and it's always really special every time I'm there. Yeah. Um, touching on that, um, you did live in Australia back in your college days, didn't you? It was actually my high school days. I was, oh, uh, high school I, was days. A teen, I was a teenager. Yep. I moved to, um, to the northern beaches of Sydney when I was 15. Wow, big move. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was life-changing, yeah. Where did it all begin for you, Dean? Starting running uh, at a late age? Did you start running big miles at a later age? Did you, um, <laughs> you were stuck in the corporate world, I guess, and there was something that you wanted to fulfill. Um, where did it all begin? Yeah, you know, I used to love to run when I was younger. So when I was a kid, I used to run, and I ran uh, competitively all the way up until my first year of high school, and then I and then I quit running basically right before I moved to Australia. I thought, you know, running's really boring. Uh, you know, why <laughs> you got better better ways to waste your time than running? So I, I quit running altogether, and and then on my thirtieth birthday, uh, I was in a in a bar, you know, in a nightclub in San Francisco, doing what. You know, most people do on their thirtieth birthday. I was drinking with my buddies, and at midnight, I told them I was leaving, and they said, "You know, where are you going, mate? It's, it's your thirtieth birthday. It's the night is young. You know, let's have another round of tequila." And I said, "No, instead of uh, celebrating with another round of tequila, I'm going to run thirty miles to celebrate." And, and they looked at me and they said, "You know, <laughs> you're not a runner. You're drunk." And I said, "I am, but I'm still going to do it." So I uh, I literally walked out of a, a bar uh, on at midnight on my 30th birthday and, and ran 30 miles that night and decided I was going to become a runner again. And were you in jeans? <laughs> That's a funny story. So uh, I had jeans on, but I think I had uh, these silk uh, boxer undershorts on that were kind of comfortable. They were, you know, it was almost like running, running underwear. <laughs> so I peeled off my jeans and, um, and ran in my underwear. So no chafing, which is good. <laughs> 
No, there was still lots of chafing. <laughs> there was lots of chafing. Oh yeah, I mean, I you know, like I said, I hadn't run in 15 years, and things were rubbing that shouldn't be rubbing, and <laughs> I, I was a mess at the end of you know, I, you know, it for the first 10 miles, it was it was great until I started sobering up, and then I thought, what the hell am I doing? This is crazy. What did you do for hydration uh, but, on a run like that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for food, I um, I actually stopped at a at a like a takeout uh, Mexican food place, a place called Taco Bell. And uh, I ordered six tacos <laughs> and just carried them in a bag, you know, like a you know, like a feeding trough and just, you know, kind of stumbled along eating these tacos. And how did you get home? You run back home? <laughs> yeah, so I ran, you know, I ran to a, a city that was um, 30 miles down the coastline from San Francisco called Half Moon Bay. And yes. I got there right about the time the sun was coming up. So it, it took me a good seven, seven, eight hours to cover the distance. And this is before cell phones, but there was, remember those old pay phones? Yeah. You're probably too young to remember, but yeah. there was a pay phone outside of this uh, convenience store. So I call, I dialed my wife and, you know, she was really concerned. She said, well, you know, where are you? That, that's, you've never not come home. You know, that's the first time you've ever done something like this. And I said, <laughs> you know, I'm fine. I'm just, I need a ride home. And she said, well, where are you at? I'll come get you. And I said, well, I'm in Half Moon Bay. And she said, what? <laughs> you know, how did you get there? And I said, I ran. And she said, you don't sound very stable. Just hold tight and I'll, I'll get down there as quickly as I can. And, <laughs> and she came and fetched me up. Oh, that's hilarious. It's funny how it's funny how everyone has a different story and the beginnings are always different for everyone. Everyone experiences it in their own ways. Um, Running's magic in that regard, yeah. You're yeah. right. Well, everyone has a story. Everyone has a journey. And I think everyone's individual stories are all incredible, no matter how big or small, to be honest. I agree because you know running, <laughs> running uh, is a it's a it's a it's a funny affliction, right? Yeah. You know, some people hate to run, and other people hate to run, but they still do it. And there's there's some story there. A hundred percent. And have you found just touching on what's going on right now? Have you found there's a lot more people running from around your town <laughs> than there is normally? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a, at least, I think, a at least here in San Francisco and well in the U S I know, and I think globally running has experienced a resurgence like never before. So a lot of people that, uh, hadn't run in years are starting to run. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's kind of amazing. Like there's people on the streets everywhere running, you know, running or walking. Yeah. That's the, that is the exact same over here. It's pretty crazy. Um, I think, um, People, people might start appreciating the environment a bit more and, you know, having clean air to breathe. and Yeah, well, you've uh, seen everything you know, that's going on in Italy and all that, how the Venice yeah. is cleared up and you can see the Himalayas from India and stuff like that. So the world is healing. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what it took for us to, to wake up, yeah. I know, 100%. <laughs> it's a, a, maybe it's a bit too late. Well, before we know it, everything's going to go back to normal anyway, I bet you. <laughs> whether we're here or not right yeah, yeah probably if we're not yeah <laughs> um dean we all age it's just how life goes um we all start to deteriorate but you are aging like fine wine you're still running like you're in your 20s and you look good what's your secret give me some <laughs> give me your secret oh 
I, you know, I wish I had one secret, but I'll tell you what, it's, 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 it's just like, it's your whole lifestyle. It's your whole package. Yeah. So I kind of view my life through the lens of, uh, of an athlete and everything I do is, you know, trying to be the best animal I can be. So it comes down to, you know, running, uh, it comes down to cross training. I cross train like crazy. Uh, you know, it comes down to diet and nutrition. Yeah. So making sure you've got a good diet. Uh, both while you're, you know, while you're in competition and outside, especially outside of competition, yeah. um, it comes down to sleep. You know, getting good quality sleep is really important. And the other thing is that it really, a lot of your performance depends on your interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And I think a lot of athletes overlook that. I mean, if you have harmonious uh, relationships with your friends and your family, you're, you're going to perform better. So I really take a lot of effort to make sure that uh, you know my relationships are not. Um, you know, in a state of disarray. And so all of these things, I think, come together to, uh, to make someone, uh, you know, live longer and, and not just, li- I, my goal is not to live longer. I mean, I don't necessarily want to live longer. I just want to be healthy yeah. <laughs> while I'm still, while I'm still here. Oh, hundred percent. I think, uh, I, <clears throat> I think that should be everyone's goal in life, to be honest, is just stay healthy, have healthy relationships. And, uh, most people these days, um, I think actually Australia, the, obesity levels per capita is bigger than the United States right now and that's actually quite scary um, with this and there's so much going on in the health and fitness industry that's free uh, free knowledge um everyone knows what's bad to eat but people still are yet to eat good they're all eating bad still uh, yeah and you know unfortunately I hate to say this but even when I was living in Australia uh, you know and this is back in the early 80s, I remember there was big campaigns about uh, Australians, you know, losing weight, and hey, we we need to suck it up, mate. Like, you should be able to see your toes. Like, you know, they yeah. talked about the, the belly and everything. Yeah, uh, it's so sad. Oh, you're broken up there, Dean. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, no, I was saying that. Um, you know, Australia is such a great place for outdoor activity that I, you know, I hope more people. Um, with this pandemic start to appreciate that and start exercising more regularly. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, I can tell that it's getting way, it's getting a lot more packed and hopefully, uh, this changes everyone's outlook being in isolation. <laughs> that will happen no matter what. It's just, I think how you respond to it. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that, uh, this, this quarantine, um, you know, until we find out, figure out a, you know, a vaccine, it's going to be around for a while. So I think it's people are realizing like, uh, you know, how do I deal with this new reality? Like this is the way things are going to be. And I think that's why you're seeing more people exercising and being outdoors. Yeah. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Um, from the outside, from the outside looking in, uh, as a young person who, um, didn't really get to see, um, Dean Carnese's coming up, in the the running scene and everything you've achieved i've had to like do my own research watch all these amazing videos um and it looks like all the fame all the fame and sponsorship just happened so fast like do do you feel that way or um did you know that yep this is what i'm going to do this is this is going to happen for me (laughs) no it's been like drinking from a fire hose. I, th- I mean, I thought I was going to be a, a, like a bored business guy my whole life. I, you know, I, I didn't, I had no idea what my life was going to become. And it's largely because I wrote a book. So I, you know, I wanted to write a book just as a, you know, as a challenge I had for myself. Yep. 
And, you know, all of a sudden the, the book really took off. It became like a, you know, a, a, a New York Times bestseller. And suddenly, you know, my life changed <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. And I just kind of, you know, I just kind of hung on for the ride. And, um, you, you know, I, I mean, ultra marathoning when I first started was such a small little niche sport. And it, and it still really is. But now it's more commonplace to hear about ultra marathons. I mean, it's kind of entered the more mainstream lexicon. Yeah, you, you hear people talking about it more often. And when I first started, I mean, when I heard about a, a bloke that just ran 100 kilometers, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I thought, well, you know, how many days did it take him? And, you know, where, where are the campsites along the way or the hotels? I mean, you know, where did he sleep at night? And, and the, you know, they said, no, the, the starting gun goes off and you just run until you get to the finish line continuous. And it was just, it was mind boggling for me to, to wrap my head around that. And then to go do it was you know, you just proved to yourself that you really are better than you think you are. Yeah, 100%. Your books have, expi- have inspired uh, so many people around the globe to take up running, whether it's from 5K to 10K, ultra running, and especially trail running. Do you, do you see that as a good thing, or can it kind of play a bad phase? I, you know, I see it as all good. I mean, yeah. I think that uh, there's, no, there's no downside to having more people outside and exercising. Yeah. And people running, and you know, I I, I I try to keep things in in perspective. That you know, I, I've gotten some pushback, but it's been you know less than a, a percentage of a percentage. Most people are so positive, you know, and the people that have said, "Wow, you know, you you expose the whole world to you know to the holy grail of running." You know, now everyone's trying to run an ultra marathon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean. It, it still seems like a, you know, we're, we're pretty wrapped up in that whole culture, but it's still a very small percentage of the population. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people said, well, it's harder to get into races now. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Then more people can make a living through running. I mean, there can be more races and, and, you know, more sponsorships and things like that. A hundred percent. I, I do agree for, for what, um, endurance professional endurance athletes have to go through to get their bodies right it's very underpaid sport (laughs) it is and you know i feel fortunate because you know i've never you know in my sport i mean now it's much more competitive but when i first started it was you know it it didn't matter if you were ending up on the podium or not i mean there was there was no prize money yeah and still with even the most, you know, the, the, the biggest ultra marathon, uh, in the U S and, and the first ultra marathon, you know, the first hundred mile trail race in the world, the Western States, 100 mile endurance run, this, the prize is still the same. I mean, you get a belt buckle. Yeah. So there, there's, you know, it's really hard to make a living in this sport. Yeah. And that's when sponsorships and all that, they, they do really help a lot to get you through. They do. And you know, the, that'll be interesting to see how that goes because, uh, you know, if competition uh, becomes less, uh, you know, how, how are sponsors going to respond to this new, this new landscape? Yeah, when there's a lot of stuff, a lot, I've seen a lot of virtual runs, so all of the stuff's being done online, and um, I guess everyone's in the dark of when it's actually going to go back to normal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's anyone's guess. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I mean, you know, the, the Boston Marathon was supposed to be yesterday. And it's the first time in the 123-year history of the Boston Marathon that it got canceled. Wow. 
that just goes to show what we're actually going through. I think. Yeah, no, it made it through World War One, World War Two, yeah. and and this is the only thing that stopped it. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Um, Dean, in two thousand and five, you ran three hundred and fifty miles. 80 hours and 44 minutes non-stop. You forgo, you didn't have any sleep for the 80 hours and 44 minutes. Um, how did that come about? And um, what started happening to your body when you were giving up that much sleep? Yeah, so it, it came about in that I was you know, trying to see how far uh, a human body could go. <laughs> and so, you know, I, we talked about... Uh, my first running a hundred kilometer and then I ran a hundred miles and then I ran this crazy foot race in death Valley called the Badwater ultra marathon, which is, uh, 135 miles. And then I ran a a 12 person, uh, 200 mile relay race just as a a solo team. So just my own team. (laughs) (laughs) So I ran 200 miles and then I thought, okay, well, I wonder if I could run, uh, 10, uh, marathons back to back which is 262 miles. So I, I did that and I thought, you know, I wonder if I can go further than that. So I set my sights at, at uh, 350 miles and you know, how did it go? It, it was crazy. I mean, I think that toward the end, you know, I was, I was falling asleep while I was running. So I was waking up in the middle of the road oh. and thinking, why, why am I running in the middle of the road and kind of moving back over to the shoulder of the road. And then it, you know, it happened again, I'd wake up, running down the middle of the road and so I was, I was sleep running and yeah it was <laughs> it was uh, it was, was sloppy but you know it, 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 it is what it is and uh, you know I'm, I'm happy to be alive afterward yeah so did you have a crew do you have a crew for that or you just went <laughs> no I had yeah I had a crew and yeah. I had you know there's there like news um, stations following me and stuff yeah. like that so it was it was you know, it was, it was kind of crazy. The whole thing, yeah. you know, people were falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. My crew was falling asleep or forgetting <laughs> they'd bring me aid because they were asleep in a car somewhere. <laughs> and how did you feel? How, how did the body feel after doing that much? Did you sleep for two or three days after? Well, I'll tell you, you know, so, uh, when I got to the finish, um, it was, it was like eight or nine at night and I had been running, you know, through three days and it was pretty warm during the day. So I had so much internal body heat. I was running, I finished without a, without a Jersey on. So I was just running in my, in my shorts and, you know, I was, um, answering some questions and stuff. And, and I looked around, I noticed that everyone else was in jackets, like in puffy jackets. And it all of a sudden hit me. Oh my God, it's, it's cold out here. And then I went into hypothermia. So I went immediately into hypothermia and they put me in a, like a, a, a duffel, like a mummy bag, you know, a sleeping bag. Yeah. And the only thing that was exposed was my face. And I just remember opening my mouth saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I need food. <laughs> and they were shoveling some, some food in my mouth. I thought it was either pudding or maybe peanut butter or something. And then the next thing I know, I woke up and it was the next morning. Wow. So I literally just passed out. And uh, I had this kind of chalky kind of, I don't know, not a very, a kind of a foul taste in my mouth. And it ended up they were shoveling um, spoonfuls of hummus oh. <laughs> into my mouth. I was eating hummus, yeah. With no, like a no big biscuits. Of hummus. <laughs> no biscuits to go with the hummus. <laughs> no, it was pretty. It was pretty savage. Yeah. <laughs> um, touching on bad water, uh, that ultra marathon is known as 
one of the toughest races on earth. Um, you've been there, is it 10 times you've been there? Mm, I've more than that. Done bad order 10 times, yep. yeah. And um, well, I've, I've, I've attempted 11 times, but the first year didn't end up so well. No, oh. <laughs> we, we, we won't go into that one a little bit. We'll focus on the, <laughs> we'll focus on the other 10. Um, does the experience change every time? And, and what was it like to win it? Yeah, so you know, to, to set the stage, I mean, Badwater's the, the hottest place on earth, so the highest recorded temperature ever was, was at uh, Badwater Basin, which is in the middle of Death Valley. And 135 miles from there is the, the highest point in the in the contiguous U.S., which is Mount Whitney, yeah. which is like 14,600 feet above sea level. So almost twice as high as Cozzy. Wow. Uh, and the idea is to run from the lowest point to the highest point across Death Valley. And it's just, it's otherworldly, you know, how insane the conditions can be. I mean, you know, the, the headwind is one thing that's just ferocious and you know, the, the UV and the radiation bouncing off the road, uh, you know, it'll melt your shoes, actually, if you don't stay on the white line. Wow. So it's a, an incredible experience and an adventure. And I'd always really looked at it more as an adventure than anything else, just, you know, taking in the experience. Uh, but then, um, you know, in 2004, I, I just thought, you know what, this is a year I, I want to win this race. And it's really the only race where I've really said to myself, I want to win. Like the, I'm going into this race to win it. Yep. Almost every other race I've been in, I've just said, this is going to be a great adventure, you know, do your best and have fun and enjoy it. Uh, for that particular race, I just said, I'm going to win. And, you know, I was, I was lucky to pull it off. I didn't even say I went, I won though. I just say I, I survived the fastest <laughs> because it's really, it's really about survival out there. Yeah. And then I kept going back because, uh, you know, when you take people out there, like if you were to crew for me out there, you would just have the most amazing experience. It'd be, inc- you know, it'd be really incredible for both of us. Yeah. For you, it'd be so eye-opening. Like, wow, this is this is hotter than I can. You know, you make a peanut butter sandwich and the bread toasts. <laughs> so it's just it's otherworldly. And then for me, I was starting to kind of, you know, live through the eyes of of new people I was bringing out there and seeing their amazement and kind of reliving. Uh, you know how how you know novel it was for me the first time I went out there. So every time I kept going back, it was you know just to see how other people responded and take other people and expose them to that. That's awesome. If that's an official invite to come and crew for you at Badwater one year, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking. <laughs> um, from club runners to Olympians, we all. We all have our limits. Um, from a scientific standpoint, um, this limit's called the lactic threshold. Um, and the lactic threshold is a build-up. <clears throat> so basically, you lose all your glucose levels and that substitutes and turn, turns into lactic acid. Um, and when you exercise, when you're running, basically when you hit the lactic acid threshold, um, running actually starts to become quite unpleasant. Um, but Dean, you really define all the odds when it comes to the scientific side of running. Um, have you, have you ever had tests and stuff done with, cause I know you don't actually hit that lactic threshold. You just keep on going. Yeah, no, I, there's a, you had a Google, a program it's called uh, Stan Lee's superhumans. 
Yeah, I watched, so, the, I watched the documentary, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they tested me. I mean, the, the whole premise of that show is they go around the world um, interviewing people that supposedly have superhuman powers, and they either, you know, debunk it and say, no, nah, there's nothing going on here, or they say, wow, there's, there's something legitimate, like, this is amazing. And so they, that was one of the tests they, um, they put me through is the lactic threshold. And they said, you know, okay, this, this will last about 15 minutes. Well, two hours later, I finally said, you know, I, I got to go pick up my son from school. <laughs> so they said, we've never, you know, we've never seen anything like this. And, you know, I have to be, you know, honest that every endurance athlete has a, a better ability to buffer lactic acid than just a lay person. Yeah. But some people apparently have a, a like this super attenuated ability to buffer lactic acid, and uh, I guess I fall in that category. And is it a rare is it a rare thing to see? Not many people, obviously, have it. You know, they, I mean, they they thought it was in, insane. Like, wow, we've we've never this is like something we've never seen. Even the even the the the, uh, the research scientists that were administering the test. Um, so they, they said it was highly unusual and, you know, like unprecedented for them, you know, whether you could get another ultra marathoner and have them do it. And they're similar, um, perhaps, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and they, they said, no, I, you know, even, even, uh, me, I can't, you know, th that those are levels I can't sustain. So it's, it's really hard to say. It's not like they test everyone in the population to know, you know, who, you know, how, how good you are at buffering lactic acid. Yeah. As it is, it it is something that brings, I guess, a lot of recreational runners down. Is the lactic acid side of things when that over they haven't done enough training or um, you're just having a really bad day, and it, it's something that can really, um, I guess, tip you over the edge. And um, the thing I actually love about you is that you were talking about you head into a race as if it's another adventure. There's only one race that you say you wanted to win, and that was the Bad Water in 2004. Um, a lot of pro um, endurance runners that I've noticed, if they're having a bad day, uh, we'll just pull the pin. We'll, we'll go to the next race. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's never been my attitude. I mean, my attitude is like if you're, if, you know, starting the race is half done and you don't do anything halfway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you either end up, uh, you know, in, in the medic tent or you get to the finish line, right? Yeah. That, that's just always been my attitude. Um, now, this is something that's really amazing. You ran 50 marathons, 50 states in 50 days. To me, organizing the logistic side of things um, would have been a bigger headache than actually running it. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, in yeah. a lot of ways, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing is that uh, the, the running was, was one element, but the travel... Yeah, you know, so you know, the, the getting the whole thing set up took a couple of years to to get all the route, you know, all the permits and everything I needed, and then you know, once the adventure was underway, it wasn't just you know running a marathon, you know, getting a, getting a massage, taking an ice bath, you know, getting a full night's sleep, and running another marathon. I mean, it was you know running a marathon, getting in a bus, driving for eight to ten hours, you know, sleeping for a few hours, getting up the next day. You know, some days it was raining, some days it was snowing, like Alaska was snowing, yeah. Arizona, it was above 100 degrees. So the travel itself was was exhausting. I could imagine. Like when I, I've seen the, um, there was a documentary, a little documentary made up and 
that when I watched it, I was thinking, yeah, I really think the logistics side of things would have been a lot tougher than running it. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever have a bad day? Um, and it looked really looked like when I was watching that documentary that you were getting stronger towards the last couple of days. Uh, did it feel like that? Yeah, it really did. I mean, I felt like um, my body uh, grew stronger. I, you know, at the start, I thought, okay, let's see if you can make it five days. <laughs> let's see if you can do five back-to-back marathons. And and then my body started breaking down. And yeah. I'll never forget, like, the 19th marathon, which was in Arizona. Uh, it was, you know, an out-and-back route. So when I got to the halfway point, I was seeing stars. And I thought, how are you going to finish this marathon? And then you've got 31 more to go. And it was, I, it was just so demoralizing and so heavy on my shoulder that I thought I'm never going to make it. And, and, and then I just changed my attitude and I said, you know what, just, just get to the next cactus, you know, cactus on the side of the road, you know, 15 meters up, just get there. Okay. You got to the cactus, you know, get, get to that next little rock in the road, you know, get to the stop sign, get to the traffic light. Uh, don't think about 31 more marathons, just do the best you can right now. Like be in the here and now in the present moment. And yeah, and let your body do its thing. And over over the course of uh, the fifty marathons, you know, my last marathon was the the strongest of them all. Wow! And that back in Arizona, that was a hundred degrees. Did you say? Yeah, it was a hundred. I think it was one hundred and four degrees. Was the high? Wow! That's is that's that's not Celsius, is it? Is it Celsius? No, uh, it's not Celsius. Yeah, Celsius I was going to say. Around, oh think, my god, I was going to say. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it'd be like forty, forty-five, maybe forty-six. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Man, that's tough. Were you running in long, long sleeves? Yeah, you were. I put on, you know, some UV protective arm yeah. sleeves. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I I pretty much know how to deal with the elements. Yeah. Um, you you've run in you've run hundreds of ultras around the world, and um, you've ran in all seven continents multiple times. Um, how did how did you the experience of running in Greece going back to because you have a rich uh, Greek heritage. What was that experience different to running everywhere else? Uh, it was. It was just. It, it had deeper meaning. You know, when you run. You know, I can trace my lineage uh, back to Greece pretty clearly. And like, you know, when you, like I don't know if you've ever done any of those DNA tests, where it kind of tells you where your family's from. Oh no, I haven't. Like but I, they're really. I, I actually really want to do that. I've seen the ancestry things. Yeah, so I, you know, it, it's it's like all my family comes from Greece, so <laughs> I know I'm I'm Greek, and I and I actually, you know, still have a lot of relatives that live there, and you know, just to go back to a place where you know, you know, for centuries uh, and millennial, uh, your family line, your new heritage comes from this area, that you know, that's pretty treasured, and you know, and Greece itself is such a, an amazing place. Um, you know, it's here in America and in, especially in Australia, the same thing. You know, if something is 200 years old, we think it's ancient. Yeah. You know, in Greece, if something is 2,000 years old, it's not even that ancient. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the uh, race to Sparta from Athens to Sparta? Yeah. So my, uh, my last book is called The Road to Sparta, and it's about the, the genesis of the marathon. And people say, well, you know, how was Sparta involved in the marathon? Well, what happened in 490 uh, BC 
is that the Persians invaded Greece and they landed on the Greek shoreline at a place called uh, Bay of Marathon. And the Greeks saw the Persians and said, they're going to slaughter us. Um, We're so outnumbered, we need to get reinforcements. So they sent a herald, uh, a a foot messenger called Pidipides or Pidipides to run from Athens to a place called Sparta. Now, I don't know, have you ever seen the movie 300? Yes, I have. So, you know, who's who's the most badass fighting force in ancient Greece? Oh, I forget his name. The the Spartans, yeah, Yeah. King King Leonidas. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, yeah, so it's, you know, so this guy ran from Athens to Sparta, which is 153 miles. So, you know, about 250 kilometers. Wow. to recruit the, the Spartans to come help the Athenians battle the Persians. Uh, and he gets to Sparta, and the Spartans say, okay, we, you know, we will come and we'll help you, we'll reinforce uh, with you guys so we can somehow try to, to you know, beat the Persians. But we can't leave for six days because uh, the moon is not full, and our religion forbids us from leaving for battle until there's a full moon. So now this ultramarathon or this Pedipides says, oh gosh, I got you know, I got to go and tell my Athenian brethren that the Spartans are coming. They're just not going to be, you know, for another six days. So he turned around the next day and he ran back to Athens. So another 250 kilometers. Wow. And that's before he even ran the final marathon. So I, I just wanted to research that story and I wanted to tell that story as authentically as possible. So I traveled to Greece on a number of occasions and did a lot of research to kind of recreate what happened back um, in 490 BC. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this between two guys, you know, ultra marathoners or two experienced runners knowing, well, that's a, that's a long way to run, especially in such a short period. But think, he didn't have hokas, you know, he, he, yeah. he didn't have a G, he didn't have an iPhone to whip out and look at him and sold his GPS. You know, he didn't have a crew. There were no aid stations along the way. I mean, this guy ran probably barefoot and if not in you know in in leather sandals and he carried his own food he forged along the way he drank from streams i mean it's it's really remarkable what an athlete did 2500 years ago 100 percent. and when you recreated that run um were you eating the exact same that um they were eating back in the day i did i ate um you know, figs were a, a staple, uh, olives. I ate cured meats, so like a beef jerky, like a jerky meat. So oh, I yeah. ate jerky. Uh, they used this stuff called pastilli, which is like an energy paste. So it was ground up sesame seeds and honey. So I used that as well as I just drank water. I didn't drink any sort of, uh, you know, electrolyte replenishment. And, and that's how I got through it. Wow. That seems delicious, that honey and uh, the seeds. It was, but it, it started tasting overly sweet. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, what I didn't calculate is just, you know, I, I trained with eating, you know, this pastelli, this honey, honey and uh, ground up uh, sesame seeds. And it was great for a six or seven hour run. But, you know, for a 30 hour run, it started getting uh, a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could imagine. Um, <clears throat> having run from, having run to the South Pole... Were there, did you find your training was a bit different to um, training like somewhere in the desert? (laughs) 
<laughs> Very much so. I mean, there's only so much you can do to prepare you for the cold. Yep. So, you know, your, your kit, the, what you wear, uh, makes a big difference. But the other thing is that, you know, I live in San Francisco. And we don't have a lot of deep snow to go running in. Yep. So I would go out to the coastline and, and run in the soft sand. Oh, I'd run you. in the sand dunes. And that kind of helped condition my legs for uh, what I encounter uh, on Antarctica. And were you doing hours on the sand or? What was that? What was the word? Were you doing hours, like extended hours of training on the sand or uh, just little little uh, interval training sessions or? Oh, no, I do like uh, two hour runs on the soft sand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I was doing hours. What What is, obviously not right now, your training might be a bit different, but what is a, what does a standard day look like for you training wise? You know, when, I, when I've got a, a hardcore training block, I usually get up early. So maybe 3, 3.30 in the morning. And I like to try to run a marathon before breakfast. Wow. And I, I typically run uh, in, on a trail. So near my yeah. house, we have some really terrific uh, trails. And that'll probably have, you know, two and a half to uh, 3,000 uh, meters of, of vertical. Oh, wow. So some climbing as well. Uh, and then I'll come home. And, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to work kind of thing. I've got a home office, so I, I do all my work standing up. So I never sit down. Like, even right now, I'm standing up as we're talking. I'm not sitting. Oh, wow. Uh, so I do all my emails, all my correspondences, all my writing while I'm standing up. Uh, I also do this uh, HIIT training, so high-intensity interval training yep. throughout the course of the day with pull-ups and push-ups, uh, sit-ups, chair dips, and this thing called burpees, which you probably know what burpees are. <laughs> Everyone loves burpees. Yeah, everyone loves burpees. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you learn to love that which you hate. But I, I, you know, I do burpees, a lot of those. And then uh, typically uh, in the afternoon or early evening, I'll go for a shorter, maybe a tempo run, you know, maybe a, a 10 miler or something. Oh, nice. And do you, I like do to you, double it up when I'm really training. Yeah. Do you ever do those um, speed? Um, like speed work sessions that are <clears throat> really high intensity is that um, or you're not really too worried about uh, speed at, at uh, the stage you're at in life yeah I, no I wish I was <laughs> I wish I wasn't worried about speed but <laughs> the reality is uh, just to maintain the same speed I had that came naturally as a, as a younger bloke uh, I got to work harder now so that yeah. does mean uh, speed training so I do a lot of speed training Yep. I also do, but not on a track. Like I really don't like going to a track. Yeah. Uh, I like doing hill repeats. So doing a lot of hill repeats for speed training as well. Oh yeah, I love um, I love hill repeats here up in the mountains. We're full of hills. Yeah, no, I know where you live. It's it's uh, one of my favorite places to run anywhere. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Did you like um your experience at UTA? I guess it was um North Face One Hundred when you came over here and did it. Yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant. I um, I loved everything about it. You know, it, it was one of those things, again, where I flew over kind of the day before the race and just got thrown into it. You know, I was planning <laughs> on it, but it was my schedule just got so, um, uh, so, so full that it was overlapping these crazy races. So I'd, I'd run, a, I think, a 50-miler the weekend before. So when I showed up, I wasn't in my best form. But the race itself was was spectacular. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything about it, and that was that was the you know the inaugural year. So yeah. uh, just you know, 
getting to launch that was great. Did you um, did you ever travel to the Blue Mountains while you were a teenager living in North Sydney? I did a couple times. Yeah, go for a couple of hikes and yeah. stuff like that. It was more. Yeah, I wasn't a runner back when I was in Sydney. I was yeah. I, actually I was I was really a surfer. Oh. <laughs> so I was I was traveling up and down the coastline more than that. I've been going inland, but I did make it to the Blue Mountains. Um, do you think that um, you have to be a certain type of person to be putting yourself through, I guess, these pain and agony and long runs that you receive from an ultra? I think there's a certain mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think there's an ultra mindset. And, you know, I, I think it, it has more to do with your mindset than, than your body. I mean, certainly you have to be in good shape, but, you know, when you go to an ultra marathon, you look at some of the people and you think that, you know, that person doesn't look extremely, you know, not, not that fit. I mean, they don't look hella fit, yeah. but they're really mentally tough. Yeah. And, you know, in an ultra marathon, you don't have to go fast. You just got to go. And these people just go. They do not stop. And the thing, um, you know, the thing I love about ultra running is that I guess, uh, I'm not a, a top finisher like yourself, but you are finishing and then still eight to 10 hours later, there's still people coming through and something and people are still standing at the finish line cheering people on. And I think it's uh, like, <laughs> imagine being out there for an extra uh, 10 to 12 hours, you know, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, <clears throat> it, it, there's something magical though about watching the people, you know, on both ends. I mean, I'll reflect back on the the Western States 100 mile endurance run. Um, you know, there there's a crowd that gathers to watch the first place finisher, but the crowd that gathers to watch the last place finisher is five times as large. <laughs> yeah. So a lot more people are there to watch the guy who's uh, DFL or the guy or girl who's DFL. Yeah. It, it, I just love the, the sense of community that um, I guess that kind of brings when everyone's still standing there 15 hours later and watching all those people come through. It's uh, it's awesome to see. And I guess that just shows, um, I guess, the community in running is a lot different. To Everyone wants to see everyone finish. No one wants to see you lose and suffer because everyone, I guess, is in the same boat. Everyone's in suffering. I think that, you know, even if you're uh, competitive, you know, when you're racing against someone, you know, a after 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 kilometers, you know, you, it's hard not, <laughs> it's hard not to form a bond. I mean, yeah. even if you're racing against someone, you know, it's, there's just, there's this human connection of, of shared suffering that unites people. And I, I've seen it time and time again, where people race, you know, they're battling against each other for eight, 10 hours and they get close to the finish line and they decide, let's go through together. Yeah. And that to me is, uh, it's, there's just something about that. That's really, uh, tremendous. Yeah. It's very, very powerful. Um, Dean, the highs and the lows, you've had a tremendous career, but what are some of your toughest moments and why? And what was the, what were the biggest highs? You know, I would say that of everything I've done, and it, it's like you said, it's been quite extensive. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it, when you when you're saying some of that stuff, I thought, really, I did all this. But I mean, <laughs> I've run you know over 300 just traditional marathons, and I've run on all seven continents, you know, twice over. 
But yeah. the race that still uh, is most special to me is I, I ran a 10K one time with my daughter Alexandria on her 10th birthday. And, you know, to a father, nothing will ever, ever top that one. Yeah, that, that is that is an awesome experience. I'm a... I'm a new father myself, a new young father, and I can't wait for those moments with my son. And he, when he starts walking, he's just started crawling, so I guess it's the first step into ultra running. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an important skill to have as an ultra marathon, crawling. <laughs> yeah, learn how to crawl. <laughs> Come to that, yeah. And um, what was the toughest moment you've ever had where you've really had to dig deep and go, holy shit, am I going to make it? You know, I think yeah, you can certainly reflect on the 50 marathons in 50 states just because it was so long. Yeah. But I also did a uh, I did a 250 kilometer uh, stage race in a place called Atacama, and Atacama is the driest place on earth. So it's a desert in South America, and it was six days, and it was self supported. Is it in so Peru? You had to carry what was it, it's, it's called the uh, the Four Deserts Challenge. It's yep. one of the four deserts. Yep. And uh, it, it was incredibly difficult because, you know, at during the day it was getting over, you know, it was getting up to maybe 40, 45 degrees. But then at night it was getting below zero. And uh, this, this is Celsius. Wow. So it was freezing at night and you're sleeping in a tent, you know, on the ground. Uh, and then, you, you know, you're eating basically uh, freeze-dried food. I mean, you're eating, with, you know, dehydrated meals the whole time. So, you know, your nutrition is not on and you only get three liters of water a day. So you've got to ration your water. Wow. Uh, you know, you're not showering and it's it's dusty. So it was just, it was just a, uh, a whole lot of different challenges with that one. Three liters of water in 45 degree heat. I reckon I'd go through it in the first hour. <laughs> you, you learn to become a camel. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Was that a fully self-supported race? Yes, yep. Wow, that is, that is well. They, you got they they set up a actually you got a tent, so they provided a tent. Oh, okay. So you had, but you didn't have to carry you had that. sleeping quarters. No, you didn't have to carry your tent. But anything else, you know, your sleeping bag, if you want a sleeping pad, any of that stuff, you had to carry. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Still, that that's that's pretty intense. Um, Dean, we got a little fun part of the segment. Um, we're coming closing to the end. Um, the tell me more segment. It's just a little bit of a fun thing where, you know, we can get to know a little bit more about you. Um, what's your favorite word? <laughs> uh, uh, Opa. Opa. And what's the meaning you of Opa? I have no idea what that means. Opa. Oh, it's, I, it's, I think I've it, seen it where a, they smash the plates and stuff. Yeah, they smash the plates. It's just this Greek superlative when, like, everything imaginable is going wrong. <laughs> you know, you just kind of at a, just say, you know, oh, you have a shot at Uzo and you just say, Opa, and you just celebrate life no matter what is going wrong. That's awesome. That, that, that. Yeah, that, that's, there's nothing, you know, there's no, there's no better way to do that, to say it than just that. Um, what profession other than your own that you're doing right now, would you like, would have you have liked to attempt? Tough well, I'm not very good at I'm not very good at things. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you are. Really you could be a builder or something. Uh, you know, maybe I'd like to be like a, a singer because my voice is so bad. It is so <laughs> horrible that I just can't imagine I could be a singer. 
Can you give us a little song right now? <laughs> right. Um, I, I need a couple of fosters before I did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you a couple tequila shots. <laughs> um, if heaven did really exist, what would you think God would say when you hit the gates? He'd say, good on you, mate. <laughs> good on you, mate. <laughs> good on you, mate. <laughs> That's a good Aussie accent. Oh, mate, I can turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> my Australian. <laughs> I love it. Um, room, desk, or car? What are you cleaning first? <laughs> I don't clean. And I know you don't have a car. <laughs> I don't have a car. Yeah. So, in my desk, if you saw my desk right now, you'd say, oh, you really don't clean, Carno. Like, it's a mess. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. All, all personal hygiene and cleaning has kind of gone out the window since this lockdown. <laughs> I guess you got to, um, you got other priorities in busy life. <laughs> Mate, Dean, I've had so much fun talking to you. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on and, um, giving us a bit more of an insight of, um, what makes you drive and the, some of the experiences that you have had and lived through is, um, something that a lot of us will never get to experience. Um, so I really appreciate you opening up and um, talking about the highs and the lows and everything like that. And mate, where can people find you if they um, are listening right now and they want to follow your journey? I think the last time we spoke, you have something. Um, you had something pretty special planned where you wanted to run a marathon in every country. Is that right? <laughs> I think had is the operative word with that one yeah i don't think i'm gonna be running a marathon in any every country of the world anytime soon yeah, yeah nothing yeah. with the way things are so it's it's amazing i mean uh, you know this this was just last october i was telling you this and yeah. now there's just no possibility so and is that uh, still know, a, is that still on the cards for the coming years not for the coming year i mean for the coming lifetime yeah it is yeah. <laughs> and let's just hope that in my lifetime i'm able to get into every country of the world because i think it's going to be yeah, several years before this whole matter gets sorted out. Yeah, you know, with the with the pandemic and COVID nineteen. But um, you know, if people want to learn more about me, they can just, just just Google my name. You know, just type in Dean Carnassus with the K. Just type in D Dean K, and I come up. Yeah, and I highly recommend the Ultra Marathon, man. That that is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, thank you. And it, you know, if you enjoy that, I, I encourage you to try. You might have already read it, but the Road to Sparta as well is a is a next. You know, it's a it's a good. It's a story that is much different than Ultra Marathon Man. Yeah, I think I'm going to jump on that. Um, is it an audio book? It's an audio. Someone, you know, it's funny. I got a message from someone saying that they uh, they can't get the audio version in Australia of any wow. of my books. Wow. But I I I'm not sure if that's true because I thought audio was like, you know, it's just one kind. Like you can download it anywhere. Like I didn't I didn't yeah. think there was a any sort of, you know, I know that like if you want to order a physical copy, you got to order it from from like Amazon Australia. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a um, bookseller in Australia. Yeah, I've been on. Um, I've been listening to audiobooks now because just finding it a bit harder to get time to read. But um, yeah, I'm definitely going to look that up and see if I can get it. But if not, I'll let you know because you it's a, yeah, let me know because uh, there's there's an entire chapter about uh, Australia in in the Road to Sparta. Oh. How was that? I, I think you'll find it fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to tell you all about it, but I, you know, I ended up, uh, I ended up meeting a lot of long lost family wow. when I moved to Australia as an exchange student. Yeah, these people found me and they said we're relate, like we're first cousins, because they had moved. <laughs> as you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of Greeks in Australia. Yeah, there is. 
So they had moved from the same village in Greece to Australia. And my family, you know, my dad moved to America and they, you know, his sister and him lost touch because it was, you know, back at the turn of the century. Yeah. And there was no mail service or anything. And ends up that I reunited the family uh, by ending up in Australia. Wow. That's insane. That, 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 and that, I will, that I is will awesome. I also share, because, I mean, since, you know, since a lot of your listeners will be Aussies. Yeah. That... Uh, I mean, I love Australia. I, I've been, you know, I lived there for a year. I've been probably 10 times uh, since then. Uh, you know, and what I love about Australia is the place itself is incredible, but the people, I mean, the Australian people, unless you travel the world, you don't realize what the Aussie spirit's all about. I mean, it, there's something very unique about Australians. And I, I try to say this to Australians that have, you know, have spent their whole life living in Australia. And they, I don't think they quite understand, but there's just a magical presence to to Australia and the people. Well, Dean, we thank you so much for saying that. Honestly, that um, it warms my heart to hear that. <laughs> remember, I don't, you're, you're too young, but I don't remember. Uh, remember up there, Kazali? No, I don't. <laughs> Anyone over forty listening to this is going to be laughing at you. But there was a a famous Aussie rules uh, football player called yep. Kazali. Yeah. And it was up there, Kazali, in there and fight. <laughs> out there and Adam, show them your might. You hey, don't know that song, do you? No, I don't. God, <laughs> I'm too young. <laughs> well, at least you just showed what off your singing Adam? voice. Ozzy, 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 Ozzy. Oi, 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 oi. Yeah, I know. That. I'm not too young for that. Every, <laughs> every Australian knows that. <laughs> what about Skippy the Bush Kangaroo? No. You don't know Skippy the Bush Kangaroo? <laughs> no, oh, give me God. that one. Come on, give me that one. I used to watch that show when I was in Australia. It was my favorite show. So Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo. No. Skippy, <laughs> Skippy, Skippy, your friend through and through. Oh, You've no. never heard that song. Oh, no, I've, ju- I've just written it down. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go back and watch it and gonna go. Oh, that was Dean was talking about. <laughs> Skippy the bush kangaroo. Yeah, Skippy it's fantastic. The bush Dean, thank you so much. If I ever come over to the states for a race, I'm gonna ask you to crew for me. You got a deal. I'm looking at Tahoe. You got a deal. You got the Tahoe 200. You yep. got a deal. Awesome. Let Let's hope that uh, that happens next year. Yeah, hundred percent. And if uh, all this, it's gonna be it's gonna be soon because um, well, once all this is over, it's um, on the cards, hundred percent. It's gonna uh, be my first international crew. race. <laughs> you got you got me as a crew. Yeah, how good's that, Dean? <laughs> thank you so much. We appreciate your time and. Man, it's been really, it's been really good insight talking to you, and um, you know, digging deep into what really makes you drive. So uh, we thank you so much. You're quite welcome, and uh, good luck to you. Good luck to all the listeners. Let's stay strong and let's run together someday. Yeah, that's it. Let's do it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Substituting normality. <laughs>